Okay, welcome to the DNR Community Spotlight. Today we're doing a Group C wrap-up episode. Um, let's go down and introduce ourselves again. I'm Dave, Bike Guy Dave on the Discord. I'm Ames. Uh, this is David uh, D. Sheeks on Discord. Mark or Noxus Cram. Hey, and I'm Steve the Wiki Guy. Okay, so we're going to do a very similar format to what we've done before. We've got some highlighted episodes that we're going to talk about. Uh, we've got a few discussion topics, not quite as many as we had the last time. And so the group kind of starts out and they make their way to Fair Bay to pick up Merrick. That's basically their uh, starting mission. And um, really quickly, we end up at Ames's episode, which is episode number five, Pox. Right, so that's the episode where on the road from Fairbay to Lockford, and they come, they come not well, okay, <laughs> across a dead body uh, that happens to be holding a chest of something. Alarath picks it up with her glove-free hands and contracts the fever. Uh, one of the things I like about this episode, though, is that you know I think. It's just a good example. Another good example of something we've talked about before of people staying in character despite knowing there's going to be negative consequences to their actions. Because when Jason asks, hey, does your character wear gloves? I'm sure there's a very like intense reaction of wanting to say yes. But Lisa was just like, oh, you know, I have to be honest. I don't think Elrath would. And she really could have it could have ended a lot worse, I think. Yeah, I thought I thought the same thing when I listened to it today. It's like it'd be hard not to say yes, definitely. I, you know, I get a chafing from my axe handle or whatever, like mm -hmm. a her flail handle, I guess in her case. So yeah, the other thing I thought was like um, Mac brought up that this is what happens when you roll a fourteen, um, and yeah. <laughs> Like, you get this horrible disease when you roll a 14. I guess what they did actually is find this thing of drugs that was worth a lot of money that they left behind. Um, but yeah, anybody yeah. else? Yeah, the, the other side of the glove debate. Even if she had gloves, she still would have touched it and then wiped her face or touched someone else. It still exists. You know, the disease is still there. It just may not have been as immediately um, observed. That's I mean, true. I mean, there's a potential that it actually could have spread to more of the party had, you know, had that not happened. Hmm. Although, although I think when they did a um, perception check on the body, they realized what he had died from. So they may still have been cautious. But I believe they did the perception check after she grabbed the box. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And then basically they leave behind the really expensive chest of drugs that could have made them some money. Help pay for that cart that they eventually get. <laughs> they could have gambled it all away. Or they could have gambled it all away. Um, the yeah. Sheiks, didn't something happen with those drugs in a Patreon game or something? Yeah, so and of course this is Theria too, but in, in Patreon group one found the same, uh, essentially the same dead guy and we actually, uh, well, Travis mostly, uh, 
got the got the drugs, and we ended up selling them for a lot of money. It was not like cart money; it was more like ship money. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we, we joked about uh, uh, telling Merrick how much those were actually worth, and when we see him at Dragon Con. <laughs> but no one got lost fever in your case. No, no, we lucked out. No, no one, no one got sick. So, so it turned out to be very, uh, very advantageous for us to run into. And didn't cool. didn't Merrick actually contemplate trying to uh, steal one of those bags and just? He tried to sneak one. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, somebody saw him. I can't remember. It might have been Elrath. I think Kaluna and. Elrath caught him, or Kaluna and somebody else, but he rolled pretty badly. I think just like a nine, and their yeah. passive perception was high enough that they caught it. Yeah, they nailed him. <laughs> One of the other things I thought was interesting that that t- ties back to the first episode really is that you know G- G- Group C was off on this uh, adventure to go you know deliver some stuff to Lockford or whatever. Not a not a super exciting thing, but the Group A and Group B both had. Uh, more dynamic or more, uh, I mean, Group A had a, a big thing going on right from the start, and Group B was introduced to the Black Hand right from the start. But Group C really didn't have any big thing going on. It was a very different start for them. Um, you know, they, they were off to meet Merrick and then off to do something, but they, they didn't have sort of a predefined direction to head. And so I think that made for an interesting uh uh, start to the arc for them, and they, they they were kind of free to just go off and do almost anything they wanted to. Yeah, because I think the most defined sense of direction they had, like at the beginning, was that they just wanted to go do good deeds and like make a name for themselves as adventurers, yep. which is so broad or like very general. It's like I just want to be a good person. Yeah, there was a definite connection <laughs> back to the White Ravens, which. It came came up for a while with Group C, but then it just kind of faded away over time. But you know the 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 disease from this episode is what defined you know what they were going to do for for a while and, and really took off and, and made the episode. But you know they easily could have not gotten the disease, or or Elrath could have not gotten the disease, and it would have been a totally different uh, start to the to the uh, uh, to the arc two for the, for the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could they could have gotten involved in something much bigger just on delivering what they were delivering. Um, but I think part of the go out and do good may have been the holdover of, and we talked about it before the recording, um, Group C had the most holdover characters from Arc 1. You know, so they had a history on the show, not necessarily with each other. And I think it was, as they've, uh, they've said recently, it was a lot of the characters getting to know each other as characters, not necessarily as all the listeners who already know the characters. Right. And, and really, based on their their delivery to Lockford, they very easily could have been the ones um, uh, heading to um, uh, my mind just stopped Don working. Hurst? Donhurst, thank you. They, they very easily could have been heading to Donhurst as opposed, or, or in addition to Group B or something like that. They could have been sent on a chase to bring back some lost horses. <laughs> well, the, the, the pharmacist, the pharmacist in Lock, Lockford was complaining of not having received, uh, you know, uh, deliveries from 
Donhurst. So that, that easily could have been a, a connection there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was also brought up as a place they might find a cleric. So yep. I don't know how well that would have worked out. <laughs> oh, that would have yeah, that that uh, just been a bad choice. Let's go to Donhurst. They'll save us all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next episode that we have, they're all the way in Onakal. Um, they got there going through the desert. There was a sandstorm. Um, Merrick picked up a little statue along the way that we'll talk about later. Is there anything else anybody wants to bring up from these? We're skipping number seven, Black Sheep, number 12, Heat and Sand, and number 14, When to Say Goodbye. Um, is there anything anybody wants to talk about with those before Mark does number 16? Um, well, just real quick. I really... I kind of like this Sandstorm episode. Like, I found it a tense episode to listen to because you have Merrick, who might wolf out at any second, and then you have FM, not Ephne, Elrath, who's sitting in a corner of the upturned cart doing her best not to die. And then you have Avalon trying not to just lose it. So I don't know. I personally. is outside in the Sandstorm, too. Yeah, and Kaloon is outside trying desperately to make sure the horse doesn't die or run away, leaving them abandoned in the middle of the desert with, like, on foot. So, I thought, you know, there was actually a lot of stakes on that whole Sandstorm episode that made it really, like, like a tense episode to listen to, at least for me. I liked it, too, and I thought it was, it it felt like a little bit, like a a mini Lockfort episode where they were just, you know, like trapped and stuck, but it, it didn't have quite the same consequences, but um, I, 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 I know uh, some of the, the players complained about it, um, but I, overall, I think Jasper in, in particular, but overall, I, I thought it was a, a pretty good episode. Yeah, I, I, I got that same vibe. It, it, it was equivalent to one of the Lockford episodes where they're just trapped and when will this end so we can just go on with our lives and try to get there? Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it, but it, again, it's, it, it's whether or not you like the skill check challenge sort of um, survival mode thing. Yeah. And the other thing is, it, you know, with Group C, they had two, two really, uh, really impactful environmental area so you had this with the sandstorm but then later on you had that storm with the with the twister throwing the trees around mm-hmm. where you know their biggest danger was was not anything they could actually fight mm-hmm. and it was two completely different natural disasters so like the sandstorm like you said they're just stuck there but the twister the last thing you want to do is just stand there as trees are being hurled your way you know that was tense in that okay let's go 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 and and not to go to a different group but group b had the earthquake too you know so this arc had more environmental um suspense causing things too okay uh, I, I had one more real quick thing dave okay uh, and that is there were, there were two things early in this in, in group c's arc that i thought were interesting and i wonder how much Jason was uh, influencing the group in terms of where they went. The first one was uh, when they got to Lockford and they had to figure out which, which direction to go to find a cleric. Um, Donhurst is closer than uh, uh, Brightport in terms of 
travel time, but uh, Jason definitely, uh, there was a couple things he said that I noticed the second time through listening to him recently that I didn't notice originally, but that sort of pointed them away from Don Hurst. And I, I wonder how much, if, if, if there was any impact there in terms of him knowing that <laughs> what was going on in Don Hurst and that Elrath would essentially be dead um, if they went that direction. But then the other one was uh, going to Onagall because that was actually not even discussed when they were in Lockford. But then when they when they get to White Edge, that suddenly came up, and uh, I, I just wondered. It, it just felt a little bit the second time through that you know maybe Jason was like, "Oh, this would be fun to get him to go to Onagall." <laughs> so yeah. there might be something to that because like the the herbs thing seemed like the way they were going to go because Jordan is like, "Here's half of what you need. You just have to get the other half." Right. But then Jason was like, well, you have to go through Bandit's Rest. Um, good luck at level one in Bandit's Rest. Or Dragon's Reach. Similarly, good luck at level one getting through there. So those things seemed impossible once you talked about the route and where the party was progression-wise. Um, so that kind of pushed it to the cleric thing. So, but yeah. You would think having, having one of the parties with a druid that you know, their their likelihood of being able to get in and out for the herb gathering hopefully would be in their favor. Okay, I think we can move on and talk about episode 16, Off to the Races. Uh, this is Mark's episode, so what do you got on this one? So, so this was obviously after the, the group had finally made it um, to Onakal, and, and so we get to see the you know, the checking into the hotel and all of the modern amenities and, and just how much the Eladrin have spruced up the place. Um, and the fact that there's no rotting zombie corpses laying around. But, um, you know, one of the things that I was really interested to see was how Elrath managed with uh, with not being included in that first trip to the hotel. Um, and... Uh, and Bree's character stayed out and, and slept with her in the cart for that extra night. But it was to see how that would manifest when she actually made it to, to find the cleric. Because at that point, they still didn't know how much it was going to cost, if they had any money for it. Um, you know, it was really all up in the air, and it, it was just a hope. And even though she rolled really good on her con check for, for the actual sickness itself... She pretty much bombed the appearance, so it looked like she was, you know, just uh, moving forward very, very rapidly in in the slough fever itself. But um, once that got done, there was, there was just a whole change in the the attitude and the flavor of the episode when when she was healed, and all of a sudden we're seeing uh, Merrick's new side with with the gambling and and now we're able to see the Vegas side of Onacal. And and I really like the fact that Jason put as much detail into the different games between the horse racing um, and the modified roulette. And it seemed like everybody got a chance to to get involved with it a little bit. And while I think some people may have been turned off by by the time frame that the horse race itself took up, uh, I found it really interesting. I, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and then, you know, when they moved on to to the one-on-one -on -one battle, 
So we had a lot of dice rolling in this episode between the horse racing, the, the other games, and then you had uh, Bree's character fighting the Minotaur. And it just, it, it made for a really exciting um, episode for me. So uh, the only thing I was going to say is kind of Vegas, except like they need to hire better math people because those games were <laughs> the expected value of those games is ridiculous. Um, but especially uh, the roulette game. Yeah. Well, that the thing, right. Cause you could get within 10 numbers and get 50 times your money or like one number was a thousand times. Your, like it was ridiculous. But, oh yeah. Um, no, as soon as I heard that, I was like, Patreon group one has to go, <laughs> go to on a call. I'm going to take all the money I can find there. <laughs> but you don't need it, to. They'll give you a hundred credits to start. Yeah, but they they didn't win anything really. Like they and I, it's probably just a thing where they don't want to spend like hours rolling dice. Like for the show, that's kind of boring, right? Um, but yeah, they didn't get a lot out of it, so I guess it's successful. But I, I wonder if like you can leave on a call with that much money, or something happens to you. Like, they can't be running a casino that way unless they're just, like, magically making money somehow, which maybe they are, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it doesn't seem sustainable, but that's okay. I mean, they're just figuring out the whole casino bu- casino business, right? I, I get the impression that the generic Therian may not be as math smart as the listeners are. So don't overthink it. <laughs> probability works differently in theory that's that's what i decided so well for sure mm-hmm. um i i did want to say it this episode did have a lot of kind of ups and downs and i want to say when they edit it they put in kind of a swerve as to um lrs final you know kind of fate of whether or not the cure would work and all that but props to lisa for sitting in a cart for how many episodes four or five episodes and just being in a cart and being miserable and playing i'm gonna die of this disease and i can't do anything about it and like she didn't talk a lot during those episodes either while she was sick you know it was a lot of people talking around her and making decisions but i feel like she came out of her shell or just started speaking a lot more in the later episodes and i think she said something on an extended rest if i'm not mistaken while being like well she thought she was gonna die so she didn't feel super talkative you know which makes sense but it's just like you said props to lisa for just sitting there and well in episode episode 14 the title is when to say goodbye and that, that a lot of that was related to the discussion that she had with uh oh um, that was with clara yeah with clara which was i was really good i liked that that mm-hmm. that, that whole role play was i thought it was really good that was really sweet i really liked that yeah so at the end of this they meet poe right and then don't they get like well, they do a, a couple of things for him in the next episode, and I think that they get like a list of jobs they could do for Poe um, somewhere in here. Yeah, I think that was on the next episode. Well, w- w- one of the things I thought was really interesting when when they met Poe was that Poe took Merrick aside at some point, or they went over to get drinks or something like that, and Poe asked Merrick if uh, Una had anything to do with Bree's death. <laughs> and uh, uh, Merrick 
very uh, sincerely told him that, you know, it, it was the bravest thing he'd ever seen with Bree. Uh, you know, so this was, and, and I, I probably shouldn't say this because it's a spoiler for certain people listening here. So, <laughs> but, but anyhow, I, I felt like uh, Merrick should have had to roll a deception check in that situation. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't jive with reality very well, but it may have, may have been reasonably close to what he thought in terms of what he saw during the, you know, during the, the encounters. But uh, I thought, I thought it was a long ways from the truth. What? Well, Merrick's interpretation of what happened at the seal has always been pretty different than how a lot of listeners took it. Um, yeah. He still doesn't believe that gods were released and all that. So it, I, I can, I can see his point, and, and that that was a good, uh, good scene with um, Merrick and Poe. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next ones that we have are basically the dungeon crawl stuff. Um, episode 33 and 37, but there's a lot of good stuff in between there. Um, anybody have comments on 22, 25, 30, or 32? I have comments. I, I, I like that they brought I, it, like the Overwatch is written as the Overwatchers. Um, the Overwatch old school kind of racist who still long for that and I know it was in the episode where some, I think Bree said, well, then why are they in a city full of elves in the first place? It, it's an interesting dynamic that, that they, there are still people like that in the world. And it, it's a lot of the depth that we're used to listening to it. And the, the whole city has a life. There, there's just a lot of depth to everything. Right. And you have to imagine that not everybody would be happy that the Overwatch lost. You know, and not everybody who sided with the Overwatch would necessarily have died or been captured. So... Oh, right. Some people probably just left the city out of disgust once it fell. Right. So, well, just like you said, it's, it's interesting to see how fleshed out it is. I think it's also the beginning of... Group C's attempt to be as non-confrontational as possible, or like as non-violent as possible. Right, because they didn't go in there looking to start a fight. They went in there looking to annoy them into them starting a fight. Yeah, because part of me was just like, "Oh, come on, just just punch them, just just do it, just do it." Uh, but in the end, it's kind of funny to see them be able to provoke them just by not reacting, almost. Really thought that that was uh, not going to go that way, especially with uh, Avalan and Kaluna. I, I thought for sure that that someone out of that party was going to end up losing their cool, um, and it was going to end up resorting to to being noisy and violent. You know, because it it really did seem like they were being given a task that that their party didn't have a whole lot of experience being successful with. Mm-hmm. I especially liked Avalan's moment. Um, when he sticks his head over Kaluna's when the guy's about to pour the glass of water on their head. And he's just like, oh, yeah, thanks. I don't know. It just seems like <laughs> a really... Yeah, it just seems like a really cute and just very Avalan moment. Um, so a couple of things. I guess we're still somewhere in, like, episode 22 and 25. Uh, 22 was the one where Kalara cheated, I guess, in the fight. I don't really want to talk about that a lot. They, it was on an extended rest, I think. 
maybe Brie felt kind of bad about it. Like they didn't realize what was going on necessarily. So that was kind of messy. Um, and then 25, uh, Kaluna leaves the group. And that was super emotional. I remember being kind of upset about it at the time. So I don't know. I loved uh, Merrick and Kaluna together. So that, that was a little bit rough. Um, yeah. uh, one of the things that happened in episode 22 was one of my favorite things from the entire arc for Group C, uh, which is a little little thing, really, but uh, I really liked how uh, Elrath went back to talk to the, the uh, cleric that healed her, and just that whole interaction of going back and, and saying, you know, tell me a little bit about what you do here in the church, and, and you know, what, what can, I, can I can I help, or can I be connected to this in some way, and, and the, the cleric gives her the a symbol of is it a monitor whichever I, I don't know I don't know any of the names um, Avandra. Avandra, yes I, I'm, I'm terrible about those names for the gods <laughs> but anyhow I, I really like that interaction I, I, I felt like something that almost never happens in D and D which is you know you, you just sort of, sort of always take healing for granted right you know you, you get beat up in a fight and you get healed or whatever and nobody nobody says thank you or whatever that's just standard standard fare but I really like Delareth going back and and you know, being that appreciative and, and, you know, going back and to give money to the, to the, to the and, and say goodbye and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to um, her previous where she's in the cart and she can't talk and now she's saved and she's not going to die. And now she can go back to being Elrath. And from that point, I think she's a little more vocal in general. Even though, even though she would still say she doesn't speak good, um, it, it, she's she speaks up more. Mm-hmm. I think there might be something to that with like Kaluna took up some space in the party in that way, like was Maybe. pretty vocal. So there's a little more room, I think, for that too. Um, so th- I guess all of these episodes have stuff in them, so that. They get their mission basically to head to Brightport and let them know basically that the Eladrin are uh, not going to play nice anymore with the houses of Brightport. So they head out to Brightport. They meet a drow and find out kind of what the Black Hand is up to, I guess, a little bit. Um, so that that's an interesting thing. And they get their, how did Jason describe it, like Escalade of a wagon built. And uh, the interesting thing is this one episode, is that 14 days in Ferior? Is that right? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're there for well, it, it was um, the caravan back across the desert and having a wagon built. Yeah. So that, that basically puts them ahead for the arc, and that's why they end up so far ahead of everybody, I guess, is that one episode. Um, but yeah, one, other, uh, one other quick quick thing that happened that was really important in episode 30 was Merrick uh, sort of coming out of the closet in terms of his uh, uh, werewolf situation. And, and, and it sort of almost came out earlier, and then he, uh, he decided, okay, it's, I probably should just go ahead and bring this out. So that, that sort of changed a little bit of the dynamic in the group as well. He explained that a lot, this arc. Um, there was probably two or three different sit-downs as people came and went of, okay, everyone needs to be in the loop. Here's what we're going to do. Well, Kaluna had the dagger before, right? So he had to tell them 
at least tell somebody, like, here, you need this dagger in case things go bad. Yeah. So. I still love that quote. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I, I put it in, the, in the, one of our quote lists. But him saying something along the lines of, I'm uh, a little bit maybe sort of partially could be a, a werewolf or something like that. <laughs> it's a really funny way, the way he uh, tr- tries to not say it as much as he possibly can and then has to actually say it. He hemmed and hawed his way through that pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of quotes, uh, episode 33 has the most amazing dad joke of the arc. Uh, there may be steaks, but I'm a vegetarian. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this was fun, guys. Yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, American so... Is dad, American is dad jokes. Um, episode 33 and 37 are both this uh, dungeon crawl, basically, through this uh, Vecna temple tomb. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. Um, they find this weird cemetery off of, was it a crit roll or a 19 or something like that as they're traveling? Um, it, it was very high. They were um, escaping from a torrential downpour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were looking for shelter and rolled this crazy high number and wandered into this place. And yeah, they fought all kinds of things. I think like ghasts maybe and mummies and a giant skeletal minotaur snakes snakes Snakes. that's right the snakes were first Merrick got to do a lot of cool stuff like use his cleric abilities um both of his special cleric abilities so that was kind of fun um elorath crit with her crail her flail for i think the first time um in two years or something she said so that's kind (laughs) of interesting uh, they find a couple magic items, um, and then they don't find a magic item at the end that they were after. So, any not even so much that they're after it. It's just that they, it, you know, went through all this, get this fancy box, and then it's like, oh hey, no, because they didn't go into the tomb expecting to find the finger of Vecna. They kind of just like went in, were like, oh, this is something we could maybe find here, you know. So what did you guys think of the dungeon crawl aspect? Because they haven't really done that too much on the show other than the original, like, um, get the gems from the caverns kind of thing with the bridge. Um, I liked that they went this way, at least with an episode or two, where it really was an old school dungeon crawl. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think if we looked at a map, this is a pretty simple dungeon, right? Probably like a tiny dungeon or a small dungeon or something, but I liked the trap finding and um, I don't know. It, it was interesting. And you're right. The show hasn't done it a lot. So I thought it was a neat mix up, especially for this group that, um, you know, kind of a- avoided a lot of combat this arc. They got a lot of them in these couple episodes. So. Yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah, and you know, here we had a group that uh, that didn't really have um, any person that was specialized in dungeon delvingness. You know, there was not a there's not a rogue. rogue. There was no one to uh, that really was geared towards doing that. So uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing it. I think it would have been interesting, but not as entertaining if they had uh, you know a pure rogue in the party to to successfully disable some of the stuff a little better 
and maybe had they had less trouble with it, they may not have been quite so annoyed by the ending of it. Mm-hmm. Because there was also the bit where Avalan took a dart in the neck and went down quick. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and then woke up and had like a flashback. Freaked out, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he was poisoned, actually. Yes. What, one of the things I... So, so one of the things I almost never do is go back and listen to episodes. Okay. I know Steve is famous for having listened to all the episodes 107 times. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, mm-hmm. he's told me several times that it's, you know, he goes back and hears them and you, you, you're surprised at all the things that you hear that you didn't notice the first time. And when I went back through this episode, one of the, or these two episodes, one of the things I noticed was that there's two or three times where uh, sort of uh, foreshadowing or unintentional foreshadowing happens. So I think Clara at one point says, you know, well, what if the, what if the, uh, the finger of Vecna actually isn't here or something? <laughs> and I, I'm sure they didn't even remember that by the time they got to the end of the, into the episode, but there's a, a couple of other things like that during this episode that were really funny to hear after the fact, you know, when you know what's going to happen at the end, and you, you catch them. Now, of the... Another question, kind of on topic for this. Um, I know Ames hasn't played previously, but we're going to get her caught up to speed. For the old hey. school people, Mark and Dashiks, um, and it just totally went that... Had you seen a kind of a swerve like that where you think you found this treasure... And there's a note that says, ha ha, fooled you. Because that, to me, was an amazing way to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I know you just cut out there, but... Um, oh, did I? Yeah, yeah. But I think I know where you were going for. So I, I've never had a DM that pulled something like that on me, but I would love it if it had happened. But uh, that being said, Dave, don't get any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can just steal like Jason ideas and use them in a game. I don't know. You guys know them all for one, and it's going to come off as unoriginal. So, right, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've definitely had things where you get someplace in a dungeon and you think it's going to be a big deal, and then it turns out to be you know some blows up in your face or whatever. But ne- never anything quite like that with the the note. I thought that was great. You know, so suddenly you get through all this work and you get this little note saying. Uh, you know, here's here's the finger of uh, the royals. <laughs> I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Now, if you think about this as being uh, Group C getting the finger, and then you've got <laughs> the carriage that basically gave Group A the finger, did we have something similar with Group B also? Um... Pretty much the entire middle of the <laughs> arc, going, going through the divide, going Don to Earth. Don Earth. Yeah, the, the entire uh, about, yeah, about I'd say, 12 I'd say Don episodes. Hurst. <laughs> Don Hurst or the divide? Those are both fair. Well, I don't know, because at Don Hurst, they went to get the bell, and they got the bell. They just had to do a little extra. I mean, I think the, like, the dragon cave thing, like, mm-hmm. that was really unexpected... Like, oh, it's going to be goblins, or it's going to be, like, I don't know. Like, we're just going to block this door, and oh, all of a sudden there's this dragon and people die. Like, that was a twist, I think. I wasn't expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Our arc 3, episode 2, is going to be titled The Finger of Vecna. Hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on, we actually have the next two episodes picked here. Um, episode 40 is No Good Deed. And uh, they meet the little gnomes and the mammoth, and they they promise to uh, 
meet up with them in Brightport and they never do. And <laughs> Can I say that's my biggest grievance with Group C? And if any of them are listening to this, I'm so upset that they did not help get Big in on that boat. <laughs> and we'll never know if he actually made it. Right? What if somebody stole Bacon? Uh, then we get this ridiculous combat. Um, they see, like, there's this woman, I think, on fire. And uh, they, like, head off to, to help out. And there's these knolls. And woman burns to death. And a, another one burns to death. And they save a wonderful guy in the end. Um, but in the meantime, Merrick charges into the front and gets knocked out, like, Four times, maybe? Six. Uh, six times. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> Ethany just keeps bringing him back. And eventually, he starts wolfing out and gets knocked out before that happens. And it was pretty crazy. And just a reminder that combat in Daria can be really deadly when it does happen. So it's good that we don't have, like, half the arc being combat episodes, or we'd probably have a lot of new player characters. Um yeah, any other thoughts on this one? I think so it's also uh, proof that not every cleric is a tank. <laughs> I think I could be wrong. I I don't think light clerics can wear like the heavy armor. Merrick wears chain and plate. Is that true? Okay, I guess I'm wrong about that. I mean, that, that's like always the character art. Yeah. No, I know he said that he wore chain mail. I remember that. So now cleric, cleric of life does have heavy armor as a, uh, as an ability. But the fun fact, I actually asked um, Jasper about this at dragon con. Um, he actually said he kind of forgot because he hasn't clericed with Merrick a lot. He's not usually the healer. Um, he's just kind of there. He doesn't heal and he kind of forgot to throw any heal spells at all in that fight. He, he, everything he did was offensive. Um, Ephany was the MVP healer. And every time he went down, she brought her back up or brought him back up. He didn't heal at all in that fight. He did do a lot of damage. It seems to me though, didn't he? I think he spent most of it on the ground. It's possible. Well, I just have... can't. I... Sorry, go ahead. Names. Oh, I was just going to say, it seems to me at one point at least he woke up and did like a huge AoE and got a bunch of, like he didn't down any of them, but he did a bunch of damage to a bunch of the gnolls. He, he did stuff um, between getting just beaten up and uh -huh. can we, we have to go back to the earlier part of the episode too. The the sheer joy of Lisa or of Elorath getting to ride the mammoth was a high yeah. point of the arc. <laughs> Every time yeah, Lisa gets fun. super excited about all that stuff, it, it makes my day. It's funny because in in, in uh, Group 4, uh, Elrath had some key moments, but I, I always felt like she was overshadowed by some of the other other characters uh, and some of the, you know, uh, fights with it between characters <laughs> in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in the group. But I, I thought there's a bunch of things in, in Arc 2 where she had really, really good moments. And that, I agree that was one of them. Yeah. And you know, when, we, when, they, when they charged into there to save everybody that was on fire, it was, it was obviously the, the noble thing to do to go in there and to take on these gnolls. But 
you know, afterwards when you find out, oh, well, you know, I'm just curious if anyone felt any different about them rushing in once they realized that it was Sleazy Pete, the brothel owner, and his newly hired prostitutes. I don't think so, but um, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, I mean, Sleazy Pete did talk about, like, how much money he lost. I thought that was pretty not wonderful. <laughs> well, he's Sleazy Pete. Yeah, he he did seem mournful in the very beginning when uh, when they were trying to comfort him, but then it's like, oh, alrighty then. Oh yeah, I guess we have bled into Steve's episode now. So. It, it, they're all intertwined. It's fine. Um, I did want to mention this was, and I looked it up because uh, it had been mentioned in our discussion. This was the last fight of the arc for Group C. Yeah, where they they had done quite a few combats and things leading up to this, whether it was in on a call and and Clara fighting the Minotaur, fighting Gar in the arena, fighting whatever they had fought previously. This was the last fight for the next fifteen episodes or so. They they have successfully avoided it after what could have been a total party wipe if Merrick had wolfed out. Yeah, I mean it's got to be a. Uh a wake-up call to go rushing into combat and then it's like get that close because Clara went down in that episode too. And she was actually down when Merrick started to wolf out. And it's just like, yeah. It just yeah. must be a wake-up call to be like, yeah, we rushed in to do the right thing and help these people and we all almost died. Maybe next time we look for another alternative. And that's what they've done. Yeah, two two quick things related. One related to what you just said. The, the first one, though, for Ames is you're right. Uh, Merrick did go in and and do an area of effect uh, spell, and, and I think it was like a two d ten plus something, uh, and did a bunch of damage. It was a saving throw at half damage to some guys, but I think it did knock out a couple of the gnolls, so mm -hmm. it was pretty effective there. But but then in in terms of Clara, I I actually when I listened to this episode, um, you know, Merrick kept coming back up, and in fact. Um, after Clara went down, uh, Ebony uh, healed Merrick again. And I was pretty much positive that Clara was done because I think she got stabbed on the ground or whatever, so she had already had two death uh, mm -hmm. saving throws mm -hmm. uh, that failed, and, and I think she made two in a row. Um, but I thought, and then also with, with Merrick starting to wolf out and Elrath running off, I was like certain Clara was dead. I thought that was it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it didn't get as much attention as I thought it might have. And I, I remember during the extended rest asking a question, uh, saying something about that, uh, you know, that I thought you know, she was dead for sure in that, that episode. It was really close. She, she easily could have been. I, I wasn't sure quite, and it's always, you know, players make decisions, um, why Ephany healed Merrick that last time instead of Clara. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because... I, and you know what? Now that you bring it up, Dashiks, it's true because it seems to me that's the episode where they edited it so that it's sad, like they were playing sad music in the mm -hmm. background when Clara does her death saving throw that's going to decide if she lives or dies. No, I think that was on Merrick. Was it on Merrick? I, oh, I, I, maybe, I might be it. wrong. Anyways, the editing on that where they're just like, oh, oh, eh, gotcha. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I do think it was Merrick, not, not Clara. But Yeah, it was. That, yeah. that was the one Jasper actually said, this could be the end of Merrick. Um, <laughs> cue sad music. So I got a couple things. One, like mechanically, just continually bringing somebody back with the healing spell where they have low health is pretty dangerous when you die at half health. So like half of your health. So I don't know, like you just get hit again and, and you're dead that time. So it's almost better, like either really, really heal them or just leave them on the ground to make death saves. So I don't think characters think of that, but I was thinking about it during the fight. It's like, you're going to bring him up and he's going to get one shot and die. So and I think because the other thing is they're afraid he was going to get one shot on the because the gnolls were hitting at him on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because he kept getting back up. (laughs) The other thing, I looked something up while we were talking here. Um, This episode 40 was July 8th of 2018. And then their final episode posted on June 2nd of this year. So basically, they went an entire year without a combat. That's an interesting thing for a D&D party. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, Steve, 43. Okay, there was one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, in that fight, Elrath got like two or three crits in a row, and her flail was going crazy. And that was she had the the one from the crypt, and then like her next two attacks maybe were both crits. Hmm. So we got to learn later on in the arc why that was all happening. You know, so there was a lot of good backstory with the the flail specifically. And I thought that was interesting. But um, for my episode, let me go to my notes. Um, after the fight, and Knowles have always been bad news ever since the first fight with Knowles. They're as bad as kobolds. <laughs> um, with less pits. <laughs> Merrick's unconscious for a long time. Avalan rescues um, Peter, Peter Hornsdale, Sleazy Pete. And they tie Merrick to the back of the cart, and Clara's guarding him. It, I actually liked that whole interaction as Merrick's waking up and Clara is trying to comfort him. And you'd think several hours of being unconscious might have given him back a stress die or two. But I like that Jason described it as, you're missing chunks of memory, and it's like you open your eyes and a thing happens. And you close your eyes, and a, you open your eyes and another thing happens, and people are moving. It's the time loss of getting knocked out that much has to be crazy. Mm-hmm. But they do eventually make it to Brightport, where they don't help get big in on the boat. Um, and the greatest betrayal of the whole arc, I think. You know, including stingers. I'll put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Biggin. Um, and Sleazy Pete offers that they can stay at at his uh, budget brothel and sample his wares. And a few people do, you know, the jellyfish package and Clara takes her turn with um, one of the ladies. And it it wasn't a whisper, the vampire lady whisper, the vampire. Yeah. (laughs) There wasn't a ton of things that happened this episode, but a ton of things happened this episode. Um, And like I said, it was, this is, the beginning of a kind of shift of the party where they haven't had a fight since that fight. And there's been a lot of big conversations that started with this episode. 
I really like that, uh, you know, Sleazy Pete stayed true to his name in the very beginning to see if he could convince uh, the, the party to maybe do some work for him in the house. And then when he realized that wasn't working, he's like, okay, we'll shift gears. But he really did seem he to did go. He did offer Clara a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, but he did seem to really go out of his way to to take care of the party, to to really show his appreciation. Um, and, and I thought that was a nice, uh, you know, a nice little bit of depth of character for him. Mm-hmm. He, may not, he may not have been quite as sleazy as the name implied. Um, did I space out and miss you talking about uh, Merrick's little visitor? That was this episode, wasn't it? You did, and I, like, you didn't, but I forgot to put it in my notes. Um, (laughs) Merrick's little visitor, that's a nice way to put it. (laughs) While they were camping, Merrick is visited by by Baruch, his statuette demon, um, for the first time. And really, the interaction only went as far as, I think I'm hallucinating, go away, let me sleep. But that was the first appearance of it, and he comes back in a couple episodes and keeps pestering at Merrick while they're in Brightport and pesters him on the road. And I think he's going to pester him some more in Arc 3. So Jasper's always really good, but I thought that his interaction with that was really good. Like, you know, it totally makes sense that you've had this really horrible day and like, you just want to sleep and like, yeah, you can convince yourself it's a hallucination. And I like the way he described all of that. It's I, I also like Ephany's reaction where Merrick was talking to himself essentially. And she's like, what, what are you talking? What are you going on about? <laughs> that, that whole scene was fun. I liked the implication in the conversation that Barak, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think so. Um, that he was the one responsible for keeping Merrick alive during that Noel fight. When, like, you know it's roles, but as a character, like, Merrick might actually believe him, if that makes sense. Yeah, you can't really be sure mm-hmm. whether it was the werewolf part of him healing him a little while he was out, or Baruch doing something to keep him alive. You never know. Yeah. Think he might be invested in keeping him alive because he might just end up lost again for another five hundred years or whatever if if he doesn't have access to Merrick. So mm-hmm. that's definitely in his best interest to uh, to keep that mutually beneficial relationship going. Um, but this also shows us just a different way that possession can work in Theria. Um, yeah, and we got a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, not, not the possession so much as having a passenger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anything else on that one? Or we have a bunch of episodes I think we'll hit a little bit on on our way to almost the end of the arc now. So we have like six episodes we're going to talk a little bit about here. What One snarky thing on 43, which is that... Uh, it's it's a it's a good thing that Merrick was in Group C and not Group B because Group B would have murdered him. <laughs> that might be the case. Oh, well, <laughs> at least yeah. Tatiana, right? <laughs> Ta- Tatiana, Alarg, uh, I think Braylon. I think they all would have murdered him. But that that was something I actually thought when 
Elrath found out that Merrick was a werewolf, she didn't react the way I thought she would. I thought she would be much more freaked out about it. Not ne- not necessarily in that Noel fight where she ran away, but previous when he sat everyone down on a call and explained it. Yeah. I expected her to be much more offended by it. I think... I don't want to take this too far, but I don't... I mean, Braylon and Calden obviously kind of knew, right? So that wouldn't have been a big deal. I don't think Tatiana would have gone adventuring with Merrick. So <laughs> we just wouldn't have been in the party together. <laughs> I do have to admit, I thought there was going to be a bigger reaction after there was the like the almost wolf out. Because it's very different to sit people down and be like, okay, I'm a werewolf. And you're like, yeah, sure. Our friend who cooks for us and like is super nice and whatever is a werewolf. Yeah. Okay. And then to actually see him like start to transform and be like, Oh no. Oh no. He, this is, this is real. I expected there to be a bit more of a reaction, I guess. Agreed. Yeah, just jumping back. One thing I remember listening to that fight and thinking, well, maybe they need him to turn into a werewolf to kill these things. Yeah. Um, but it worked out. Um, okay, so they get to Brightport, and uh, I think something we'll talk about a little bit later, they all kind of split up and do different things. Um, I think this episode 44, is that the one where we get the, the little Tessia scare? Um, we, we think that Tessie is dead, and they kind of play it up like she is, and then she's not. So that was a little scary. And after, I guess what was like three or four months of sitting in calls that we didn't know about at the time. Um, Ryan joins the show finally in episode 44. Um, so there's that. Anything else on that one? Yeah, I kept waiting for, for him to show up. Yeah, listening back today, it's like, there's a living in Theria on monks. I'm like, why is there a living in Theria on monks? Oh, because one is joining the show, but just we don't know when. <laughs> <laughs> but he did really a, a good job of keeping that part a secret. Um, yeah. Where it, he was just a dude on the street. Um, I, the Tessia reveal when David met Merrick at the door and said, you know, no, you can't see her. I, I forget the exact conversation. But that w- that was really well hidden. And I'm surprised we haven't gotten more things throughout the arc of big things from arc one coming back but tessia was the thing we almost had to find out about and it was a a really good reveal that she's just been in hiding this whole time and rather than uh glendra having found her and killed her okay um there's a there's a slightly funny thing uh about that in the uh uh the, the stinger i think for I can't remember which which episode it was that where they had the introduction for the uh, for the for what was going to happen at Dragon Con, um, and and after that, I think Elrath was surprised. I saw it must have been a previous episode, and then Elrath was surprised or, or excited to find out that uh, uh, Tessie was still alive, even though that that had sort of been given away in the in the stinger. Um, uh, so you know, I don't know that she would have necessarily listened to the stinger, but uh, there, there, I know there was a little sequencing disconnect there. But there was also a piece of art that slipped out and shouldn't have been. Oh yeah. 
something that um, that kind of caught my ear on a second listen through, and it, it could just be pure conspiracy theory, but um, it really had me wondering, knowing how Gratic is and finding out that obviously he was still um, very involved and invested in Tessia and, uh, and the house, was thinking back to that drow assassin and wondering you know was that truly an assassin that was being sent out to locate all those or was it actually more of is it possible that it was someone that was being hired to see anyone else that may be looking for those um for those people and and trying to you know counter assassinate i guess you know and that uh, as soon as we realized that they were alive, I was wondering, oh, is it maybe that 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 she's out there trying to identify all these folks to put them into hiding before uh, before any of the assassins actually do go after them? Oh, like there was there a group trying to round them up for their own safety? Right. I don't think so. Based on the giant scar Tessia had, um, <laughs> there was for sure an attempt made, but. There's every possibility that another group could have tried to counter that too. I just don't know that it was that there would have been that much organization on that side. Okay. Uh, the next episode, uh, number 50, a little less bright. And I think the title of that is because this is Jane's last episode, at least for now, on DNR. So Ephany leaves and. Uh, but the Sheiks wrote some notes here, and it says, Ephany departs, foreshadowing Avalan going dark. So maybe that goes along with a little less bright, too, is uh, what, what goes on with Avalan going forward. And I know there was some discussion about Avalan like, possibly leaving, too, and he didn't in the end. Maybe that might have been better for his mental health going back. Probably should have just gone with Ephany, but that's okay. Um <laughs> They give Tessia the letter. They spend a lot of time at the beginning cooking things. We get another cooking montage. I think I got uh, called out as like an angry vegan on the Discord or something because that part bothered <laughs> me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, the giant spider soup thing is gross, but... <laughs> so, yeah. A anything else on this one? The, the whole first part of that episode was also them fooling around looking at food in the, in the, uh, in the marketplace in Brightport. Yeah, there were pigs and friders and all kinds of things that yeah. yeah. We got friders out of it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Episode 52. Uh more eating, I think. And um I I don't really what is going on. Episode 52, paying the toll. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the Sheik's notes and I have no idea what these mean. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, there's that bridge that they have to pay a toll at. And Elrath gets angry, but Clara just pays them? Yeah, she pays them 10 gold. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What does Merrick goes darker with blood magic mean? Oh, um, Barak offers him uh, spell. To, to, to help out their travel with a little bit of safety. Um, so Merrick cuts his hand and does a very small blood magic ritual. Um, so I thought they, I think they get to bypass like their D20 roll. Hmm. And then so there they, was they a... got like a few days free, decent mm -hmm. trip. 
Yeah. And then there was the guy that was watching them that they found out, but then nothing ever really happened with that. Don't really know who that is or anything. Yeah. Was that them or Group B? No, that was them. I I think they spotted uh, a reflection off of the guy's uh, uh, binoculars or whatever kind of (laughs) looking glass he had or something like that is what uh, I think both Merrick and Avalan both had really, really high uh, perception roles. To, to oh, yeah, that. I do remember that. For some reason, I thought that was Group B. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like a lone rider. Yeah, no, on, yeah. A, on a like a black horse with a white mane or something. It, it, I was going to bring that up kind of as... I was going to bring that up kind of as a lost plot thread, but maybe it'll come back. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it was going to be the replacement for um, uh, Ephany. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Could have been. Um, well, speaking of replacements for Ephany, uh, the next episode, we get this Diana throwback thing, and they recruit Iris. Um, those, are, those are the big things that come out of there. Um, anything on that one? It, I, I enjoyed, as someone who wasn't a fan of Diana, and I know... Um, if Rob was here, we would have a different discussion about this. <laughs> I, I liked seeing the softer, more empathetic Diana who kind of had her anger a little more sorted out. And I, I enjoyed Kelsey bringing that back. Yeah, so, I, I thought that was interesting because I, I, I thought it didn't even feel like the same Diana, which seems perfectly legitimate, right? It's been, you know, over, over two years or whatever, and, you know, things have changed a lot. But it was, you know, to me, it just seemed like almost a, a different character. I liked Diana before, but I think I'm kind of on the side of like group one got a little too silly for me at times, like the Duncan sex talk thing, for example. And uh, Diana kind of, even though there were some ungreat things about her, at least gave the group like a purpose and uh, got them doing things. Instead of just like joking around in bars and stuff all day long. So I liked that part about Diana. And I really enjoyed having her back. So hopefully we keep getting more of these little things. And I think Kelsey got to play three characters in R2. That's got to be a record, right? I don't think anybody else did that. Maybe I think, uh, I think Karen Rob did. Rob did too, didn't he? <laughs> Who was the third? Uh, he was at Dragon Con, right? So. No, Kelsey. Oh, oh uh, Aria. Say that again. What? Um, didn't she play in that stinger earlier? We had the Theo. Oh, Aria she, yeah, thing. she did do Aria in a stinger. And then, oh wait, was she in a Ladrin too? She was in a Ladrin. Yeah. Or sorry, and they were they, they were, were in a Ladrin. We're bad at pronouns again. These things happen. Yeah, Karen got to play three characters in just a couple of episodes. So. In arc one, so thirteen episodes. <laughs> not not in a happy way, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so let us clarify. Kelsey got to play four characters who survived. And you said that wrong. You're in the correct group. What? You, you have to clarify. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> I can't believe I missed okay, the Steve, moment. Steve, Steve's thrown off for the rest of the for the, the rest of the discussion. <laughs> I'm out. 
Um, okay. So the the group kind of keeps heading on. They're they're going to Uminiro. Um, they learn a little bit about the royals and this kind of crazy plan that I have real questions about um, heading to Kodai and figuring out how the heck the gates work. So that's kind of interesting. Um, they the next episode they run into a lot of people really loved this NPC Ted. Um, who could have easily just ended up like a dead Ted, but instead they just Kalara paid him off, I think. It's like 100 gold or 50 gold, I don't remember, to uh, to get past them. And then there's this giant storm, and that was kind of fun playing through that, another weather thing. Um, things to talk about on these couple? So, so I, I, have to, I have to say, if I was the, the DM for this session, uh, I would have had... Uh, crossbow bolts and who knows whatever flying at Merrick after he offered to make the uh, the guys lunch as a way to bribe them to let them go through the through the and instead of paying a hundred dollar toll or or it wasn't even for a toll at that point <laughs> that that, oh, that always just that just struck me as like uh, the most insulting thing for their intelligence is to say oh yeah you know let us go we'll just I'll make you lunch that that's like the well to be <laughs> funny fair. thing. Like lunch at the Pounce and Claw was about a hundred gold, so you know it's not that far off. Okay. Yeah, wasn't <laughs> cooking over a campfire. Yeah, yeah. I, I I pictured you know beans in a pot. <laughs> they no. already talked them down to half of their you know going rate to get past them, and hey, can we just skip that and make you lunch? Is mm-hmm. is really trying to cheap out. <laughs> But we can't we can't gloss over a Ted the the best hired goon ever. We cannot. I think we... other people have much more love for Ted than I did. So I'll <laughs> let you guys talk about it. It, he, it was just interesting to find a goon that was a less serious look. I'm just trying to make a living. I don't really care so much about the end goal of the people who hired me. You know, he, he it's a different take on a standard thing. It was almost like Jeremy, um, who worked with Cecil in, in Arc 1. He's just like, listen, I'm just trying to make ends meet, and I don't really care about these other people. But Ted Ted was a respectable goon, and I hope he does well in his future. <laughs> he was um, no Trent. But no. He, he was, a, like you said, a lovable goon. He was a decent tactician. I mean, you know, if they hadn't gotten that better perception role, they wouldn't have realized the archers up on the hill that had beads on them. And that could have changed that entire uh, encounter if they decided to bum rush Ted and, and it just started turning into pincushions. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, uh, fast forwarding. I, I, I did like the funnel episode also. Um, the weather events, or was that the same episode? Was that the end of the episode? Same episode. It's the same one. Okay. Um, I should know these things. But yeah, it, it's there was a lot more like skill check challenges for weather events and that kind of stuff. It, it I thought it was more dangerous probably than it needed to be, but I, I like the way it played out. Yeah, I thought it was. Like trees were flying around and stuff. Like that was that was a pretty terrible storm. Um, it's surprising that there wasn't worse consequences than there were. 
Yeah, I think they got lucky on a few of the rolls. Mm-hmm. And so did Ted. So. so did Ted. I thought I remembered Jason making a comment about, you know, the storm coming in and them wearing metal armor. So I was anticipating, like, a, a fear of lightning strikes, not this twister to come through and start launching trees. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to re-listen to this episode, but was there anything concrete in any of that in any part of that episode that indicated that the royals might have actually been behind uh trying to block the road or anything like that yes absolutely the royals hired um ted and the gang so it definitely was the royals because i don't i don't remember that it was there was anything concrete that said it was the royals i thought that yeah, was something um, that clara, yeah clara had actually said had asked and and ted was like well i really can't tell you and she's like and she what said if what I- if i guess yeah, his response was very much in the affirmative and was he was showed a lot of surprise that the very first thing that she guessed was the Royals. Okay, so, so well, it's, even if they were involved, I don't know that there's anything that, that at that point that the Royals would have been intentionally trying to block the group. I don't think they even really knew anything about them. So I, and it, it I don't know that like, it would have been specifically this group. I think it was block any group. Because they said they had been very vocal in Aldemore about what they were mm-hmm. doing and what they were trying to do. So I think they were just trying to stop anyone from following them who might have caught in wind. Cotton, that's not a word. And yeah. who knows? That, that lone rider on the hill may have been connected to, the, uh, connected to the Royals and been like, hey, why are these people following us? If they are trying to yeah. go to the same place, let's buy ourselves some space. The, the other thing I wondered is whether or not the Royals might have been doing using some uh, artifact that they found to control the weather, and, and maybe they were trying to keep people away from, because they knew they were going to make this big storm or something. I have no idea if that's a possibility or not. But um. Yeah, I thought it was weird. I have to agree with you. I thought it was weird that they're blocking the road to Umaniero for, like, seemingly no reason. It also doesn't make a lot of sense to like talk about what you're gonna do and make a lot of noise about it and then decide to block people from following you. Like, shouldn't you just be quiet about it? I don't know. And it seems to me they're so cocky. Like they wouldn't they don't strike me as the type of people who would see the need to block the road to stop other people because they'd be like, Well, they're not gonna be competition anyway. But maybe they're not really that secure. Maybe. <laughs> That's why or maybe the the human in the group is just smarter than you know Mav. They're, they're compensating for their insecurity by uh, tormenting other people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the the next episode they do make it to Umaniro, and um, after kind of leaving their weapons and getting past the guy at the front gate. Um, they figure out they need to talk to uh, the this researcher Jody, and they all have different questions that they they want to ask Jody. And um, Kalara keeps trying to uh, bring up kind of personal stuff with Merrick, and kind of pushing those issues. And um, I don't know any of that really stick out to anybody. This is when Merrick let them know about his little friend his little passenger yeah, that was that was kind of different because he'd spent so much time on this arc talking about his 
lycanthropy that this was the first time that he really let the, the people in on the idea, oh, well, and also there's this demon that just happens to be talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to when they were coming back from on a call. Effany had noticed that the statuette's eyes glowed and then Merrick's eyes glowed and then she told everybody and then it's never mentioned as the group up until this part again too. Um, was this the Theriathon episode or is the next one the Theriathon episode? The next one. Okay. The next one is the Sheik's episode, number 68, A Lucky Break. So what was going on in that one? Yeah, so, so this is the episode um, where they, they're they still in one hero and they uh, end up sort of splitting up to go do a bunch of different things. So uh, there, there's some plans to go to a, a, a spa and, and there's other other plans to talk to uh, the researcher and various things. And, and uh, this is the episode where Avalon gets split off from the group um, and is, is sort of picked up by a, a crazy researcher and has this whole... Uh, 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 encounter with the guy who, who's uh, you know ties him up and, and all that stuff and Avalan uh, kind of uh, uh, being Avalan kind of goes along with it thinking it's okay for a while and then eventually gets to the point where it's like this isn't okay and then uh, reacts uh, not unreasonably I would say if you've got somebody who's doing the kind of stuff that this guy seems to be doing to him uh, re reacting violently doesn't seem unbelievable to me <laughs> um uh, anyhow, kill. I can't can't remember the character's name, but kill kills the the researcher guy. And, and uh, uh, the, the reason I picked this episode was actually because I thought it was fun to see a, a situation where the party split into a whole bunch of different groups. But the it, it actually had a real benefit, I thought, by splitting up from a role play perspective because it got people involved who had been relatively quiet. Uh, you know, Ferris had been involved in some discussions in various places, but not a ton, and Iris had, as, and not a ton. But I thought by splitting the party all up into these different groups, everybody got the, a chance to, to, to shine and, and do some things that hadn't really happened uh, as much since earlier in the arc. I think early in the arc, there, there was a lot more uh, uh, division of the, of the role play, but it had kind of uh, narrowed in focus. So I like the fact that it, by splitting the party, it actually uh, allowed a lot of people to... to get involved that hadn't been involved as much. Yeah, I thought there was a little, maybe too much researching in the library, but um, Varys got to really come out when he, you know, thought Merrick outright lied to him and misled everyone with his um, the royals are our enemy and they stole something directly from me. Right. Which didn't happen at all. Um and I think Varys is going to really come out in Arc 3, not necessarily as a leader for the group, but as a, a voice of doing what's right and proper. Um, and also, he's now a full member and not an intern. I know other people have said it, but I really love how Ryan took what was like a joke at the beginning and turned it into a character arc. Like, going from, oh yeah, I'm just the intern, to, you know what? No, he's been growing towards us the whole time. He's not the intern anymore. So yeah, I think it's great that he found his voice 
I I don't know if the group is going to have a leader. I don't see how you could follow the werewolf that you now know as like demon possessed also. Um, so I think Merrick has to give that leader job up to somebody. So, I think it, I, I feel Clara is a much more uh, competent leader at this point, but I don't know that she wants it, but it, she may be reluctant. Like Dagon, you know, was never, he never wanted to be leader or captain. He just ended up being there. Yeah, and for for this episode, I think it was, you know, we, we got to see a really interesting twist at the end of the arc by everyone splitting the party the way they did. And without realizing it, there was this organic situation that left Avalon there. And, you know, that whole little mini side quest, um, you know, while it may not have direct impact at the beginning of arc three, uh, I'm confident that there's going to be a significant fallout from it whenever they do come back to Umanero. I think oh, there just should be repercussions for sure. <laughs> you just wear disguises. It'll be fine. Um, was the researcher was trying to research like interdimensional travel or something? Is that what he was doing? Yeah, he was trying to like open up portals to other dimensions. That, I think it was alternate realities, maybe, but yeah, yeah. yeah Evelyn got taken like a toddler to Walmart, and <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah. that the whole Evelyn once Effany left, it was that the slow burn to what happened. It, it was just really well played. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, that whole situation. I know there's a few people I've seen it come up on like the discord and the Facebook before there's a few people who are just like, Oh, you know, it started off as self-defense and it just went too far. And it, it definitely did. But I just found that whole situation heartbreaking where it's just like, like you said, he gets taken like a toddler in a Walmart, but he's, you know, he's a kill. He's, he's capable of murder. They, they're adventurers. They've done it before. But he's so mentally fragile that there's just, I don't know. I just thought he was really well played. It was really sad. And just like his reaction afterwards, like, I don't know what to do. Like, you know? I don't know. It spoke to me. No, Luckily, actually, they're going to a different continent, so it'll be fine. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. That takes us to the finale, and I don't know, not the the most dramatic finale of the arc for sure. So they kind of deal with the avalanche stuff a little more. They they go back to the scene of the crime and kind of clean up a little bit, and uh, they they talk Jody into kind of funding their trip across the sea in exchange for some research notes or something. Um, and they get a pretty nice ship for the most part. It looks nice anyway, and a really great crew, super loyal. And uh, they managed to delay the royals like a day or two, and basically we're off to like a race to Kodai. Basically, um, that's arc three, I guess. I I think the group C finale sets group C apart, and they've been set apart for a few reasons. You know, they, they've been to 
probably more cities than the other groups. But they're also the only ones who had a finale that was that ended on an upbeat. You know, they're getting ready to go do a thing that's not necessarily, and we're walking into danger. Although the history of sailing on the show is not wonderful, but <laughs> but yeah, it should it's not dire the way they ended for sure. Mm-mm. It wasn't it wasn't. Uh, oh, by the way, Star Fox Three, we're going to meet a god though, either. Yeah, but that could go either way. Definitely, but <laughs> but also, do we want to bypass this whole Uminero thing and not talk about Merrick's girlfriend? I knew what you were going to say. We didn't get the whole story, right? Like, it seems like he hurt her in some way, or just did he just scare her? Is that what happened? I I think there may have been a near wolf out incident, and he left. That's what I got from it. But she seemed, like, really into having him back, possibly. Like, the door didn't seem closed on her side of things. So maybe he was just scared to keep going. I I don't know for sure. Well, I think Merrick is def- definitely afraid of hurting anyone he cares about in the very least. He doesn't want to hurt anybody as a werewolf and maybe not even as a human. You know, so it, I don't think he's willing to take that chance. And hopefully we get to see him like Anthropy free at some point in the character arc. But you never know. I think it goes back to his some of his backstory. Uh, I don't think we ever really got a lot of detail on that, but I, I think part of his backstory was that he killed some of his, at least companions, if not his family. As some people in the Fire Isles, like his um, parishioners. Yeah. There were a couple of things I thought in this episode that were, that were kind of uh, interesting. One was I was thinking Group C should never plan to uh, commit a murder and try to figure out how to get out of it because <laughs> they did a bunch of stuff with Avalanche situation that was almost like, you know, let's go back to the scene of the crime. <laughs> let's do all the things that, you know, if you ever watch murder mysteries on TV as your kid or whatever, you, you learn, you know, it gets beaten into your head. If you're going to murder somebody, you sure don't go back to the scene of the crime and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but it, it wasn't even to go back to the scene of the crime. It was Avalanche having to tell someone because he is kind of broken and didn't know what to do or how to deal with it. He he is all, I, I don't want to keep referring to him as a child, but it, he's not all there since Ephany left and he may not have been all there when she was there, but it, the way Zach is playing him is amazing. I think it's really interesting too, because he's one, I, I think he's the only PC where the group doesn't hold him fully accountable for his actions. Like when he's explaining to Clara and then Merrick what happened, they're like, no, this was our fault. We shouldn't have let you go. Whereas if anybody else in any other of the groups had done that, it'd be like, why? What, like, what did you do? At least in my perspective. Well, that would go back to if, if Merrick did wolf out at some point. Mm-hmm. and hurt somebody, would they give him a pass? Would they give anyone else a pass who had something happen to them? Yeah. I, I, I don't think so. I think there's a certain sympathy for Avalanche. Yeah. No. For, yeah, for sure. 
I kind of think that they probably would still give Merrick a pass just because, uh, you know, the idea that he's not in control once that happens. Now, um, obviously, he's made a lot of effort to keep that under control. But, you know, as long as they've been traveling with him, they've obviously had to weigh that decision out. Um, one of the things that was kind of surprising with, with Varys coming in as the as the intern is that he was the first to really say, okay, what's the plan when we go fight? And, you know, he wasn't even there to see that Merrick ran to the front and got the crap beat out of him and almost wolfed out. So for the first time uh, that I saw in this group, and probably the first time I remember seeing in out of the other two groups also, there was a conscious conversation about how we're going to do tactics and, and who's doing what roles. And I, I think Clara had mentioned that previously, may, maybe after that when they were on the back of the cart too, of how do we keep this from happening and going bad? And we didn't get to see a lot, well, we didn't get to see any fights or any, we don't know how it's going to go going forward, especially with Iris, Iris as a healer, how Varys is going to interact, and if they can actually keep Merrick from being front and center, because in a lot of times he is the talker, so if something goes wrong, He's going to be right there. Is Iris healing with undead minions touching you or something? I, I wasn't aware she was the healer. I guess we'll see. She's a cleric of Vecna. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll I see. Mean, I don't know how that's going to work. Else, but... <laughs> they, yeah. yeah. It was, it was interesting to see Merrick's, you know, kind of refer to her as, you know, the kind of cleric that he wants to be, other than being mm -hmm. a, a cleric of Vecna, obviously. But that it was recognizing that the way that he was behaving was not going to be the best interest of the party. Maybe Merrick prepares some healing spells and uh, Iris can do other stuff. So <laughs> he's turning a leaf possibly in arc three. Yeah. Th there's a, there's a lot of things we're going to see um, from all these characters. Cause we have two brand new characters that we haven't seen a ton from. And I, I think they're both going to be super interesting. I, I like the way Ryan and Mandy are both playing um, with the group. And I, I think they'll be able to keep it together if they can just keep Merrick from just getting beat up whenever they step into a fight. But maybe <laughs> Clara will talk their way out of everything. <laughs> I think uh, Merrick's going to cast Turn Undead, and then Iris is going to cast Return Undead. Does <laughs> <laughs> that... Does turn undead affect your own like minions that you raised up as a necromancer? I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> that'd if be unfortunate. He, pet, he can probably destroy it. Yeah, that'd be unfortunate. <laughs> you um, thought the first okay. argument was bad. Wait, yeah. that happened. Well, one other really quick quick thing on this episode, which was uh, I want to know who gives Jody uh, so much money to to throw around. Uh, that she would give uh, a gigantic amount of money to a possessed werewolf <laughs> with this crazy <laughs> idea of going off to some island or whatever or to another continent. That was pretty wild. <laughs> I think that was a direct uh, callback to the donation from the royals when the royals went to pick up their uh, research materials that they had given her this large sum because she made the comment of about their sizable donation. Oh, I right. think she yeah. turned around and took the royals' money and handed it to Merrick. Maybe that's it. If someone, if a group has the potential 
to make a meaningful knowledge dump to your research library, it's the possessed werewolf guy and his crew. I mean, yeah, but also a group of people comes in, asks you tons of questions. One of them's possessed and a werewolf. And then they turn around, they're like, hey, give us a bunch of money. We'll totally go do uh, some info research stuff for you. Promise. We promise. How do you, you know? I don't know. I think it could go. It, it's just a huge show of trust on Jody's part. Well, she did put Lojack on him. That's true. Hmm. Okay. I think that wraps up the arc. Um, we have a few discussion topics here. Um, the first one that we had, uh, this was kind of Rob's, and I don't know exactly. Uh, Rob is in a land of no internet, apparently, tonight. I don't know exactly where he was going with Dungeon Crawls, but I had a a thing on combat episodes, and I thought I'd just put them together. And we talked a little bit about Dungeon Crawls before, but what, for you, for you personally, like, what is the right balance of, like, episodes with combat or dungeon crawls or whatever to episodes that are mostly just RP or like mini games or something because they're kind of all over the place. Like group B had a whole bunch of combats. Group C we just talked about had a year of no combat. You can go back to arc one and listen to like four hour long combats if you want. Like for you personally, like where do you land on this scale of like how much combat do you want? in your DNR podcast. Currently, I think there's a good mix. Um, Again, if you go back to arc one, yeah, they could get in two or three fights in an episode because that's how 4E kind of worked. Um, Now the combats are a little more not always intentional or meaningful. You know, when you go from like the Cyclops to the Dragon with Group B, sometimes it is just a random encounter. But they generally aren't the entire episode they add something to the story or to a character whether it be you know hooray we killed it and now there's a thing or with a death um i i like the mix as is but i know a lot of people really tune into dnr specifically for the role play and they're like i could care less if there's ever another combat I think that you know dice rolling is uh, integral to to that D and D experience, um, but whether it's being done as a skill check challenge or whether it's being done as combat, to me personally, uh, I'm happy either way. Um, I, I do like seeing the character development that happens throughout an arc um, and even inside some episodes. Uh, but you know, listening through. And maybe it's because we're listening to three groups playing and alternating episodes. It doesn't, it certainly didn't feel like it had been a year since we'd seen combat with group C because we had combat in other groups to mix it up. Anybody else got thoughts on that? So I'll, I'll just say, I think uh, whether it's combat or conflict, I think that can lead to a lot of interesting uh, aspects for, of role play. I was just listening to a couple of older uh, Arc 1 episodes with uh, uh, some, group, some Group 1 Arc, Arc 1 episodes where there was actually a lot of role play. There was uh, some discussions between 
Sassoon and and Malchus and Yenward and and, and the crew. Um, that it was some really good role play, and it was around. Uh, it wasn't specifically around conflict. It was around a, or a, a combat. Was around a potential conflict and what what they might be doing. But I, I think you need some of that to to sort of spur on the the plot. Uh, I, I felt like with Group C, once we got to about episode forty three, um, uh, there there just seemed to be a lack of something spurring things on. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be combat, but just some something that you know uh, keeps the keeps some extra interest in 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 the episodes and keeps uh, you know you could talk about eating and and making breakfast and lunch and all that kind of stuff a lot, <laughs> but at, at some point uh, something else has to be there to keep the keep the episodes really really interesting and fresh. Um, before Ames talks, um, Ames, you yep. started in arc two, right? Yes. And you got to know this mix of like yeah. RP, really RP heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're making your way through Arc One. Yeah. And how do you like that Arc One combat? Uh, I, oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. I think um, going from how streamlined, I guess is the word I want, 5e is to having 5 million different area effects on a map. Is that you can't is. see, by the way. <laughs> that you can't see. You just have to listen and try to remember. It's a lot. Like, there are, there are some good role-play moments that happened in combat in Arc 1, well, at least where I am so far. Uh, but I think that's just because there's so much combat Statistically, you're re- you're eventually going to have some good role play moments in there, right? That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I I really like the balance they achieved in Arc Two. Um, I feel like there it might get combat heavier in Arc Three, just because they have talked about ramping up the tension a bit, and I think combat or like she said, conflict is a good way to ramp up that tension. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like, it doesn't bother me so much that Group C didn't have a ton of combat episodes because, you know, you get some combat with Group A, you get combat with Group B. Like, Group C is nice to just go in and listen to them, like, adventure and wander around. Yeah, for me personally, um, like, I I like the mix here. I probably could have used, like, one more Group C combat somewhere in the second like in the last year but i think there were a couple opportunities they just got out of basically um like i thought we were just going to get a showdown with the royals possibly in umin euro or outside umin euro or something that didn't happen uh we paid off ted things like that um but at the same time like there was a point where i think group b had like three or four combat episodes in a row and I got a little bored with that. Like, I love Group B, but like somewhere in the Cyclops and like there's a dragon and there was a cave and there was a thing we were, I guess we were running from. It wasn't really combat, but like it was not maybe enough role play for a, a little bit of time for me. And I don't know that. So I don't know where I but land. They also, that, but. Jason's been substituting in some places skill check challenges for combats. You know, where, where people are taking actions and doing things where it's not okay and it's your turn and go. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I actually like that a little better, but you don't get to see the full effect of what a character of whatever level they're at can do. Yeah, and for me... Sorry. I'll go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say real quick that, like, Group C did avoid a lot of situations that could have ended in combat, but it didn't feel forced. It wasn't like they were like, oh, we have to avoid this combat. I think it was just, like, a natural reaction to what was their last fight, like I said earlier, so... Yeah, so 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 Ames, take your uh, headphones off for a couple seconds because I'm going to say something. <laughs> oh, I, I've had so much spoils. It's okay, just go. I'm... Okay, well, I won't. I won't spoil too much. So, so one of my favorite uh, story arcs from all of DNR is the the what I like to call the Legend of Lockford, right? So, Group Four and, and Lockford. And I know some people didn't like that, but uh, I thought it was fantastic. But if you if you look at that. There wasn't very much con- there, were, there wasn't much uh, combat in that whole thing, and in fact, there wasn't any at all for a while. And, and you know, there was a good bit towards the end, but um, the, the just the situation made that you know so uh, compelling. And there was you know this constant sense of you know, holy cow, we're in trouble here. <laughs> I, I thought that was fantastic, and, and again, that didn't didn't necessarily involve combat, but it had this situation that really, you know, push things along and, and, you know, what would you call it, conflict or or uh, just a high-risk situation. I, I, I think that, you know, you need some of that at least part of the time uh, to, to keep the story moving and to keep, to keep some interest. Okay, I think that's all pretty good. I would like to see some kind of uh, dungeon crawl come back in Arc 3. I hope we get another one of those. Maybe it's some weird... Um, dungeon in Kodai, or maybe I think they have to stop in another continent on the way, maybe. Um, maybe we get some uh, future weird dungeon crawl. I'd like to see another one of those. That was fun. Patreon Group 2 had a pretty pretty fun one, actually, so uh, who knows? I know a bunch of them are making it into the book, I think, so there are dungeons in Beria. We just have to yep. go off the road and find it. <laughs> so... Uh, the next thing that we have, uh, the Sheik's talked a little bit about um, episode 68 and how the party split up and kind of gave everybody a chance to talk. Um, I think that happened another time, kind of earlier. Well, they split up uh, when they got to Brightport also and got to go around and um, talk to people kind of on their own and things like that. Um, what else did you have to say about that? Uh, I think I said it most, mostly when we were talking about the episode, uh, you know, just in terms of uh, it was nice to have an opportunity for people to shine separately. Uh, you know, obviously sometimes that's going to be a major risk, but uh, it, it does seem to be a, an opportunity for people to get, you know, in and, and say some things that they might not get a chance to uh, otherwise. I, I, there was a little bit of that also in, in On a Call as well when they were, uh, you know, Lisa splitting off to go see the the uh, healer and various things like that. So, um uh, just, just my uh, 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 take on you know maybe splitting the party isn't such a bad thing all the time, especially when you're talking. Yeah, I think it's a hard thing to balance. Like they do a pretty good job, but like it's hard to take a group of people and balance who talks equally all the time. We have a hard time on this podcast doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know I listened to one of those early episodes today, and I don't know if Jane talked in the. Maybe, but there wasn't much. And then there were other episodes where, oh, Jane's back and talking a lot. 
And like yeah. Elarath was quiet for a while, and then there were episodes where Elarath talked a lot. So it is a useful kind of DM tool just to be like, okay, you two are over here. What are you going to do? You can't do it all the time because it gets a little boring when you don't get to talk or do anything for like half an hour. Um, Listen to the first two or three Group A episodes, and the the the, 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 the players in Group A, I, I like all of them a lot, but um, I thought they were fantastic early on in terms of uh, how well each player got to be involved and, and start their arc. You know, all, all, all you know, uh, I, I, yeah, all, all new characters in that in that situation. Um, that that really works really well, but that's hard to pull off. I think you know that they take some some thinking you know along the way amongst the, the the players to to make that really work. It's not easy. Well, I think part of this too, where they all separated, it was all good plot motivation. Where you know Varys was angry and stomped off, and someone followed him, and Avalan had to go do his thing, and everyone had a reason to be split. But at the same time, they know they're about to end the arc within an episode or two, and we've really not heard anything from Iris or Varys. So I, th I think they really had to just to get a couple hooks in there. Mm -hmm. Because Iris and Varys both joined late in the arc, too. So especially Iris, I feel like she was there for a few episodes before the arc ended. So, yeah. yeah. Like five, maybe. Around five. Yeah, and I, I feel like she was there, and then it was like, she showed up, and it was like, okay, there's a finale. See you guys in three months. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward to getting to know them more, basically, is what I'm looking at. Well, I guess at least we know Mandy really well from a Discord and Thariathon Twitch chat, so, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, The next uh, topic, and then I actually added, I guess it's kind of a comment, but maybe a topic under this too, but uh, Mark had a topic about how faith um, kind of affected the characters in this group, and you had some examples, I think. Yeah, and, and maybe it's um, natural in a group that ends up with two clerics in it, uh, and then, you know, you have a, a bard that plays a, a healing role in the beginning of it, but you know, in in the early on area, you've got um, even Clara has has some some obvious ties to faith uh, when her and Ephany are in uh, on a call, and or, uh, when Elorath gets healed, and and they go back into the temple, and it's Elorath not only talking to the healer, but then also going around with Clara and learning how to, uh, the only thing I can relate it to is like being Catholic and doing the Stations of the Cross and and going through the different methods of, uh, of what that faith looks like and how that impacted Elorath um, continuing forward. But then we also had that really heated conversation between Merrick and Iris where Merrick does his his super short info dump um, about the light in the sky, and and Iris just isn't having it, and she kind of lashes out and then storms off, and Clara has to go back and kind of do the the longer, more comforting explanation, and and they have to kind of come to terms with what happens when you've got two clerics of very different faiths that 
uh, that don't even have the same opinions about whether the gods exist. Yeah, I think the times like in the in the dungeon crawl when um, Merrick was using his like clerical powers, I think he said something like um, Merrick holds up his holy symbol and says like yada 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 or um, you know like mumbo jumbo words like. I don't know if he's saying like the right religious words and just doesn't believe them at all, or if he just like says gibberish. Like, I don't know. He's a very odd cleric for sure. Well, I, I presume, and this goes to like a random spell casting somatic component thing. I presume you have to say a specific thing, or at least a variation of a specific thing, to cast the spell. And it, we talked about this a little on the group B where. Um, people were kind of improving how much they had to say or do. Or um, Kaluna early on tried to sneeze cast something um, <laughs> so someone wouldn't notice. I I like to think that Jasper is saying, I don't know what exactly I have to say to cast a spell, but Merrick knows what to say to cast a spell. So I'm doing that. Yeah, but it, it also speaks a little bit to if you don't have faith in the presence of gods, um, you know, how does that impact your access to magic? I know in in some previous editions, there's talk about, you know, falling out of favor with your deity. And, uh, you know, like if you change alignments in, in real old school D&D, that you could lose access to any of your spells that were tied directly to that deity. Right. And it's it's been mentioned because it, uh, Arc 1, there's been some question of well this person should have lost their powers because of these events or they forsook their god um but that's not really how jason's playing it where you don't have to have the belief and the faith and the connection to retain your powers because he said before it's not the actual god giving clerics their power it's that there's magic accessible in theria the clerics are able to access that magic and they're the strength of their faith doesn't affect that access, right? Right. right. Yeah, aren't yeah, we still waiting? Interprets the world. Yeah, I think we're still waiting on the actual like source of Therian magic. Isn't that a thing we keep? No, it like? was the same thing with Scions, um, yeah. where it it magic is a raw power, and people access it differently, and that's just what happens. But you you don't have to have crazy belief and faith to access those powers like in some other editions or some other campaigns maybe like that yeah um okay the last thing i just kind of added and it's something we talked about a little bit before we started and it's like the the scope of group c is like not as world affecting as the other groups like they didn't have you know demon invasion sort of thing to fight off or um not really dealing with an, a villain like the Black Hand, who's going to have like a huge effect on Theria. Um, and I, I just wrote three words or three little statements here about them. Like their story is a little smaller, kind of more intimate story, mostly about the group, um, kind of understated. And that's maybe like a little bit of how the players play and also like the way that the quest was. And then like excellent role play across. Like I think... Um, Bree is like really good at role playing 
all the time and uh, Jasper is too and like it's really enjoyable to listen to um, I enjoy every one of these episodes that I do listen to but you kind of go through like five of them and look back and it's like oh well not a lot really happened that's going to affect the world in a major way but I like listening to all of it and I want to see where it goes so when I, when I, I was re-listening I forgot it, as I was trying to remember without listening okay, what did Group C do? And then re-listening to it, you forget a lot of the little details and the little the conversations, the things they actually did, how many NPCs they interacted with. Um, group C did a lot of things. And it, it wasn't the um, world-saving, you know, world-impacting things. It, it was very localized. But it was still very entertaining. Everyone on the group... Um, the Jane and Mac before they left. And I expect really good things from Mandy and Ryan. Um, everyone. It's, it's a really solid group. And I, I re listening to it. I forgot how entertaining they are as a group. I think it comes off a little different because you don't have like the, uh, the one liners and stuff. Like you said, there's some Merrick dad jokes, but um, <laughs> it's not maybe quite as boisterous and uh, out there as some of the players in the other groups, but I think they fit really well together. I find Correct. like as a group, oh, we get some really nice interactions in group C between group members. Like, And not that the other groups don't have them, but I think for me, that's what stands out for group C is that yeah. The like just the relationships within the group and the characters themselves, they do a really good job of just like portraying who they are. Like they they really hit the nail on the head for this arc where Jason said they wanted to introduce the characters. I think we know who the characters in Group C are, with the except like and with the exception of uh, Iris and maybe Varys to a certain extent. But I expect that we're going to find that out soon. You know. I think even though the you know the individual accomplishments seem smaller than the other groups there's there's definitely a butterfly effect that I feel is happening in the background you know without them uh showing up we wouldn't have Poe returning back to uh back to the white ravens to see hey what else can we do so we had an entire shift in an arc directly for that um you know, that specific NPC. Uh, and then, you know, I think we'd mentioned earlier that there is the potential for the slough fever thing to take on pandemic proportions had they not gotten it under control or, um, you know, if they had gone somewhere else looking for a healer. Okay. Um, anything else? Are we just about done here? I think the answer is we're just about done here. I, I, I feel like we've been very thorough. Okay. Um, I think we're going to end there. Uh, thanks, what, are, what are we doing next, Dave? <laughs> what yeah, are Dave, we doing what are next? next? Uh, I don't know. What am I supposed to say? What are we doing next? I'm just, trying to put you, just putting you on the spot. Well, you had mentioned something. I don't know if you want to bring it up. Though. You had mentioned something before recording. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I could tell you the, uh, the future of what's going on with the show if you want me to do that really quick. Um, I'm going to keep doing interviews uh, like one a month or so. Um, I've got like a backlog of like four of those, including uh, CM Bryant, who I've been chasing back and forth and we scheduled and I had to cancel it, and then he went on a cruise and all kinds of stuff. So that's going to happen. I have a couple kind of big surprise guests coming that you people are going to be interested in. And then uh, this group that's here right now is uh, going to try to record, I think, one episode a month on kind of different topics. And I think the next one is going to be like a Dragon Con recap because most of you are going to Dragon Con. I'm not because of a uh, friend birthday gate. Um, but uh, most of you are. And I thought we would just sit and talk about what that was like and um, kind of the DNR things and oh, yeah. other things that we did. So Yeah, good portion. Um, Casey, Rob, um, I, I think for, for the group that has done these recaps, I think, those two are both going. Um, so yeah, most of us. Yeah, we'll definitely try to get um, people on that are going to that. I I don't think Mark is going. I could be wrong. Oh, I won't be making it this year. Yeah. So, but we'll get some people that did, and I guess they they have a thing where you can buy like a streaming pass or something. I'm trying to figure out if that covers all the DNR panels or not. I might. Um, I think it covers. Like what's on Dragon Con TV? Oh well, that's I don't, I don't think you necessarily get a lot of choice, um, yeah. but I don't know what is specifically going to include. Okay, well, I, I need to look at that a little closer because otherwise, I'll probably just watch, uh, like, if Ian streams the the live game or whatever. That may be all that I see, but we'll see. Um, anyway, thanks again and goodbye. Bye. See you. Bye.